Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Michelle Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, hey, this is Vincent Williams of It's All Soul. Wednesdays, 8 to 10 on GTownRadio.com. Tonight, we are going back to 1984 to visit playwright Charles Fuller's um, scintillating play, which was adapted into a feature film by director Norman Jewison, starring Harold Rollins, Adolf Caesar, Patti LaBelle, a very, very young David Allen Greer, Robert Townsend, Denzel Washington, and a seemingly never young Art Evans <laughs> in <laughs> Art Evans has been looking the same way since 1957. <laughs> in A Soldier's Story, Vince's pick for this trek of our road to the whiz yeah episode 100 of the michelle mission but before we begin we have a little bit of feedback that we've gotten in the emails on people that email us at michelle mission at gmail.com or find us on twitter and instagram at michelle mission or find us on facebook at uh Michelle Mission as well. Uh, let's see. We did get somebody hitting us up on Facebook, and that person was Robert Monroe Jr. Robert Monroe Jr. What's going on, Robert? Hey, brothers. Catch, hey. Catching up on the podcast and just heard the stormy weather episode. Yes. The, the discussion of how Bojangles Robinson is problematic reminded me of a story. All right. Oh, it's story time with Robert. Appropriate for this film. Very much A so. film that showcases black storytelling. In the late 80s, I managed the foreign film department of a video store in New York City. Okay. One day, I went to a matinee of Do the Right Thing before work, so when I got to work, I wasn't in the best of moods to deal with white people's <laughs> nonsense. I answered the phone at work and a woman whose husband is a famous movie producer called asking for a Shirley Temple movie. Okay. I look up her account on the computer and cross reference it with the movies we have in stock. She's rented all of the movies we have and the ones she the ones she hasn't seen are rented out. Okay. When I give her the information, she asks me, "Do you have any other darky movies?" <laughs> I pause. Oh, asked her, <laughs> asked her to repeat that, and she does. So I asked her what a darky movie is. That's a good question. That was a good follow up question. Very good follow up yeah, question. Yeah, good good reporting on yeah, you, Robert. Yeah, good, good job. Due diligence. And she tells me that it's a movie where they treat black people like darkies. Then she goes on to laughingly tell me that she likes to show them to her daughters. Oh my God. I took a deep breath and told her that from my voice, she probably couldn't tell that I'm black. What she said was offensive. <laughs> I just went to see Do the Right Thing, 
and that she should go see it because she obviously didn't know what the right thing was. <laughs> then I went ahead and sent her a Shirley Temple darky movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did call back to further discuss the issue, and I had to reduce her to tears and get her account canceled. But that's another story. Oh. Wow. Kind of speaks for itself. But you know what? Those are the kind of stories that a lot of white people don't even believe happen. Oh, yeah. But, like, <laughs> I think many of, have, of us have stories like that where I can't even believe what I'm hearing right now. That is so, I mean, can you imagine? Yes. Obviously. <laughs> but... Do you have any darky movies? I mean, look, darky movies. Look, I will. I will say this for this woman: two men, one podcast. Every darky movie ever made. I will. This is a credit I will give this woman, even with the fact that she didn't know that Robert was black. Mm-hmm. At least she was honest in her assessment of what it was that she enjoyed. Like, I would rather her say that I am uncomfortable with modernity and and America and and everything in the way it's happening and that I'm much more comfortable with a depiction of race relations where white people treat black people in a certain way. Hmm. And I'm showing it, showing this depiction to my daughters to let them know about how things used to be. As opposed to all this rah-rah about make America great again and and in the good old days and you know let's call a thing a thing okay so yes I can very much imagine her saying that and you know yes and, and, and Robert A I want to hear the, the, the other part of the story and then B offline you, you know I want to know who the famous producer is <laughs> of course <laughs> he also followed up um, saying that to you Vince uh-uh. on our past uh, episode that was a nice Elijah Muhammad imitation but that was Al Freeman, Al Freeman. Jr. You know what? Not Adolf You Susan. know what? On the way home like I was in the car driving home and I yelled out shit that was Al Freeman. Okay just mark the time that you said shit. Uh-huh. Which actually can I tell you can I tell you my secret fear? Go ahead. Can I tell you my secret fear? So you know Red Fox God mm. on the set of the show that he and um Ruby not Ruby D um uh, the Ruby D. Um. 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 Oh God. I'm thinking D. Snyder, but that's the lead it's singer. Not D. Snyder. It's oh, a, um, um, Twisted Sister. Oh man, she was in. She was she in, was in Harlem, Nights Harlem, Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights. Um. It's not Ruby D. It's not, but now you've got Ruby D. On my mind. And now I've got D. Snyder on my mind. <laughs> oh, to the Google. To the Google. Oh man. Vince. The point is, he died on the set. But, yes. but you know, when he died, he had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And they thought he was playing because of... Oh, because of the show. Because of, of what he would do in in uh, Sanford and Son. Right. So they thought he was joking about having a heart attack. My secret fear is that I'll have a stroke and yell something out, and people won't think that I'm actually having a stroke. I didn't even see her name. Della Reese. Della Reese. Because I yell out stuff all the time. Like, all the time, I just yell out stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Chim Chim is a failed clone of Pops Racer. Like, I'll just yell that out. <laughs> Clearly, she was his lover. All the evidence is right there in the song. And I'll just yell that out. So you've got, like, geeky Tourette's. Is that what right, exactly. Those are two references to two of my personal theories, by the way. Like, I think that uh, that that both Spritel mm-hmm. and Speed and Racer X are all clones of Pop Racer. What? Why are they 10 years apart? Why does he have sons 10 years apart? And then he dresses up Spritel like Chim Chim. Spritel and Chim Chim are clearly the same age. And I feel like Chim Chim is a failed clone. So that's why they dress them alike. What the hell? And the real reason, because you notice they never actually tell you why Rex left. Yeah. Like when it's the show starts, Rex has already left the family. Yes, he's already Racer Racer X. X. He's Racer X. But they never tell you why he left. Well, they don't tell you that he's left the family. But he, he has faked his death and become Racer X. But we never find out what led to that. And my theory is that Rex found out that he was a clone. That he was a clone. He, Speed, and Spritel are clones of Pops Racer. And every 10 years, he clones himself. Rex found out, left. Speed grew up, became of age. He's 16 at the time. He starts racing. Clearly, he's a crazy person. <laughs> I don't they clone know. him again. I don't know, Vince. I think you've watched one too many uh, episodes of the Venture Brothers. I think the Venture Brothers got it from that. Everything in the Venture Brothers is a reference to something else. Well, true, but I don't see. I don't see. I'm that, telling you, the math adds up. Don't fight me on this, Lynn. There's, I've run the numbers. Rex, Speed, Spritel are clones of Pop Race, Pop's Racer. Anyway, that's the type of thing that I yell out, and then I'm always afraid that one day I'm going to have a stroke, and I'm going to say something, and nobody's even going to pay any attention to me, like, because my family talk, like, I just yell out stuff all the time. But yes, you are right. I was mixing up my um, magnificent, slight, slightly built character actors. I mixed up (laughs) Al Freeman with Adolf Caesar. (laughs) Boy, if that wasn't a backhanded compliment. Um, I mean, they little dudes. That's not a backhanded. I mean, they're both magnificent actors. I know, but both of them look like they weigh like 90 pounds. They just little dudes. We, um, <laughs> I'm just keeping it moving. I'm keeping it pushing. So we've also, um, people who follow us on um, Twitter may have noticed that um, we have changed the heading, our heading on Twitter. We're yes. Still, you can still find us at uh, Michelle Michelle on Twitter. But now when you go there, it show, it uh, reads as no Confederate mission. A- and that is because yeah. we have joined this, this uh, protest of the TV show proposed TV show by Game of Thrones producers David Beninoff and D.B. Weiss. They have proposed to follow up Game of Thrones with (laughs) they have uh, 
But I meant that. They are going to be following up Game of Thrones when it ends in 2019, I believe. It's, it's scheduled to end with a new HBO series called Confederate. Confederate um, proposes to chronicle events leading to the third American Civil War taking place in an alternate timeline where the southern states have successfully seceded from the Union given rise to a nation in which slavery remains legal and has evolved into a modern institution. Uh, This movie, excuse me, this uh, series um, has been created by David Beninoff and D.B. Wise, as I as I noted, they've also brought on as producers um, the the married producing team of Nichelle Tramble Spellman and Michael, excuse me, Malcolm Spellman, as well as Carolyn Strauss and Bernadette Caulfield. Um, in a it, it this just the whole idea of doing this has sparked mass uh, controversy uh, over on the internet and it has morphed into this whole no confederate uh, movement basically is a hashtag no confederate um, helped spark by the black girl nerds podcast as well as um, other um, women protesters I think it's important to note that it's always sisters out front it is it is um as uh, trying to, they have basically um, taken to not promoting Game of Thrones anymore, the TV show, uh, as well as doing whatever they can um, by by voice or by um, you know hashtaggery or hashtag hashtag activism, as it will to try and force uh, HBO and DB and the producers hands into letting go of this uh, idea of doing this series. Malcolm Spellman, one of the producers they brought on said in a recent, recent interview on NPR said that the project is not antebellum imagery. It's not whips. It's not plantations. It's not a celebration or pornography for slavery. And most importantly, it's not an entire nation of slaves. We here at the Michaud Mission have joined in with the Black Tribbles as well as a a number of other podcasts and um, quote-unquote blurred sites and joining in on this um, in this movement of hashtag no confederate and uh, Vince we didn't talk about this last week um, but I think especially in light of the movie that we are reviewing today I think it is um, very apropos for us to speak about this this week and especially for you Vince who has some very strong Opinions about this. Now, I will give you this, Vince. What we are about to talk about right now is almost shortly solely going to be on the podcast. So if you are moved to <laughs> be salty a little bit, rock on. This is the bullshit we were just talking about. We just talked about this with Coonskin. Mm. People real reckless with black stuff. 
Yeah. Real reckless and real careless and real. Not, see, first of all, this how you know how. Okay. First of first of all, this is how just just you you know just not no attention just off the cuff this whole thing was. You could tell by how flat footed they were, by the response mm-hmm. to this that not nary a black person was anywhere in a room when this came up. Right. Not nary. Right. It wasn't a black person in the room when they came up with the idea. It wasn't a black person in the room when they went to HBO and bounced it off of people. It mm-hmm. wasn't a black people uh, wasn't black people in the room when they put together the press release. Mm-hmm. There was no black people involved and you can tell by how completely just just unawares they were. That's first of all. Second of all, the lack of research on the Civil War. Anybody who had a good 10th grade history teacher would let you know that regardless of the Civil War, slavery was going to collapse in the next 50, maybe 60 years just because it wasn't sustainable as a model. Okay. So the fact that they front load this thing with, oh, it's going to be slavery, shows you where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. This is some old, again, fetishizing of black pain. Like, listen, you know, we're going to start with it's still slavery. Everything else with the Confederacy that you could do, everything else that you could do, you know what? It was this great comic in the 80s. Did you ever read Captain Confederacy? No, I did not. Same thing. The, uh, the South either won the Civil War or, or the Confederacy maintained itself, took place in present time, but it kind of extrapolated from there. Mm-hmm. Like if there was no United States, how that would have affected World War One. If World War One changed, how that would have affected World War Two, so on and so forth. And it was this really well researched, well written. I mean, you know, it was an '80s black and white comic, so you know, it wasn't War and Peace, but it was just the ideas were really, really interesting. As opposed to, wouldn't it be cool if the Confederacy was now and it was still slavery? <laughs> So that's first of all, just the lack of talking to anybody who took like an AP 11th grade history class. Okay. Second of all, you point a gun to my head. Vince, you're going to have to make a show about modern day slavery. Really? Yeah, you do. All right. First thing you do, you need to call Henry Louis Gates. Right. And get him on board. Okay. And the first thing you ask Dr. Gates, who is the country's expert on chattel slavery? in the history of slavery right what university are they at how much do they make a year because i want to pay them their salary and double it to bring them on staff okay also just the optics of it me like if vince was doing it because like i said when when the stuff goes down like 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 when when white people are always sort of surprised by black people rising up (laughs) first thing i'm doing is going to spellman and I'm hiring the entire history department at Spelman. Okay. Because we're going to make sure this thing is right and exact. Okay. So that when people push back, I can have a room full of people, black people, who can say, no, we've done our research. We're going to handle this in the right way, so on and so forth. Just from the level of research. Okay. Now let's talk about writing a thing. Gee, I wonder if there was a show that actually dealt with slavery and um, the Underground Railroad 
sensitively, wonderfully, had a great writing staff, had a black female creator. I wonder if there was a show like that that just got canceled so that some of those writers probably need jobs. Um, there was a show. It was called Underground. Was it? Yes. Huh. Maybe I would have gotten the people involved with Underground to be the face of the creative writers. Let's say I can't find them. Okay. Seems to me the people who run uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. might be able to get uh, Donald Glover on the phone, Issa Rae on the phone, Ava DuVernay on the phone. Issa Rae is already in the HBO you camp. Know, and say, hey, we don't want your showrunner. Who's the second best writer on your show? Okay. Maybe they might want an opportunity. Okay. I mean, hell, you're talking about Issa Rae on HBO, the show that's dealing with slavery and the implications of slavery almost as well as underground is Westworld. Talk to the Westworld people. Okay. Who do you call? God bless these people. I don't know them personally. I don't know anything about them. But the sister writes for The Good Wife. She was a writer and story editor on The Good Wife. The Good Wife is good TV for people who don't have basic cable. That would be Michelle Trampled Spellman you're talking about. The Good Wife is for people that watch like CSI and NCIS and the mother shows. And then like The Good Wife comes on and they say, oh, wow, this is good. Like they've never actually seen Breaking Bad. Right. And then dude writes for fucking Empire. Yes, he's written and produced a few episodes. He produced a fair amount of episodes for Empire. Yeah, as well. yeah. These this 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 isn't prestige. Tell like 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 the bona fides aren't really there. That's true. And then the other two producers that they mentioned here, uh, Carolyn Strauss and Bernadette Caulfield. Bernadette Caulfield was a producer on the Game of Thrones. Carolyn Strauss is a um, basically a, an HBO executive. Yeah. As well as producer. Yeah. They threw this together. It's shoddy. It's disrespectful. And frankly, I don't think it's ever going to come to air. You really don't? I really don't. I, because, no. again, I think nobody expected this. Uh, see, because they didn't put the attention into it. So they were com- caught completely flat footed. Mm-hmm. First of all, they think this is going to go away. Like this sort of outrage. Because, you know, black people, you give them like shiny things and fried chicken and they'll start thinking about something else. Right. But second, no, it, it's a bother that nobody wants. They don't, they're not even really vested in it. Like when you hear them talk about it, they're like, oh, wow. I've read, like the one guy said, um, I forget which producer said, like he read a history of the Civil War and saw that um, I think um, Stonewall Jackson either got sick or he didn't come to some battle. Like some type of little thing. He said, oh, wow, wouldn't it have been neat if he did? Okay. Right, right, right. Like, this really is something that they kind of scribbled on a napkin. So, nobody is really that vested in it. And not for nothing, let Spike Lee throw something together about the Holocaust or the Trail of Tears Mm -hmm. or um, the comfort camps, as they called them. Okay. That the Japanese soldiers had in World War II. Okay. The only people who are afforded the opportunity to be fast and loose with history are rich white people. And the only history that they are allowed to be fast and loose with is black history. This is the only, like, we're the only people that this happens to. And it actually kind of infuriates me that we have to do this. Well, your boy played a little fast and loose with history. Um, Quentin Tarantino in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, Inglorious Bastards kills Hitler. Yes. 
I mean, that's you can't get more faster and looser with history than that. You don't get that fast and loose with it, though, because you know what we talk about in Glorious Bastards. You know what else we talk about? People got mad at um, Steven Spielberg for the depiction of Nazis in, in the, the Indiana Jones movies. People got got mad because he turned them into cart. He, they said that he turned them into cartoon villains. Really? Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. And, and Raiders, that. look up the Raiders critiques. I mean, but well, uh, well, yeah, they were villains. I mean, they were villains. Who gave give a damn if they were? Regardless, again and that. again and again. I mean, we're reading the, the reviews right now of Detroit. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Where you know it's like the history from the point of view of white people. Black people are just there to get beat up and have pain, and you you know there's no acknowledgement of the movement that was going on at the time. There's no acknowledgement of what's going on actually in the police departments. Like you know, it's the one bad apple argument, and it's always this thing again and again and again. Which it's kind of nice that we're doing a soldier story this week because we have some black stories being told by a black writer. True. And handled by a wonderful director. A a wonderful white director. A wonderful white director. But frankly, you know, if I got to have somebody handle it, Norman Jewelson is one of the few that I'm sort of resting easy. But I want to just circle back real quick on something you said about we we had this conversation in about Coonskin. About Coonskin. Which was the Ralph Bashi animated film. Which you... I, if I remember correctly, yeah. you liked that film. I thought it was a well-crafted film. film, yes. So I'm surprised that you don't find that equally problematic. I did find it problematic. And if you listen to it, I said it was problematic. What I said, it was well-crafted. And I think something can be well-crafted and still be bad. Mm. Like you'll see, you know, even when I talked about this, like I have two arguments. A, the shoddy research. Okay. B, again, I don't know. Maybe this is the beginning of their careers. Maybe they'll do something a little better. But I've watched Empire and I've watched The Good Wife. Right. Neither one of them show the, the sort of technical writing, creative talent mm-hmm. that I'd want involved with something as sensitive as That's a it. modern depiction of slavery. Right. Because one thing that nobody has said, or, or you won't hear me say, I. I'm not against the idea of the story. Right. You know, um, I'm not against, you know, playing with that, with that uh, notion. Right. Of what, you know, what, what would it, the world look like? Right. I'm just uh, against one of the things that I'm against uh, that, that struck home with me when we talked about this last week. Um, and I heard a couple of other people say it. But I guess it was just the eloquent Baltimore way that you said it <laughs> that really made it uh, stick was that, you know, everybody goes on and compares this whole project to the man in the high castle. Sure. Which is the Amazon series um, based off the Philip K. Dick's uh, short story. Yeah. Short story. I think it was a short story. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a short story in this book, um, which basically is a, is a uh, proposes what would happen if the the Germans and the Japanese won World War II. Right. And basically they take over the United States and divvy right. it all, all up. Um, and uh, one of the things you pointed out to me was that Germany, right. the, the country of Germany, yeah. 
would not make right. the man in the high Exactly. Castle. Germany does not play that with Nazis. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. Like the, the official edict of Germany, like the German government, a great deal of German culture. I believe it's illegal to have swastikas mm. like on material and this, that, and the other because they they have definitively drawn a line. Yeah. They disavow- they've disavowed th- that part right. of their history. But, you know, again, it's it's this mythology of the Confederacy and, and what they were and what they did that we play these games yeah. and here in the and, United and, and, States. And, and that plays with the mythology of the Confederacy and it and, and moves forward back in time to this mythology of the 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 40s and 50s of being like you know oh the the good old days you right, know, why, right why can't exactly. we return to those days um and it was when you when you said that that's what it clicked with me and i was like yo i i can't support this yeah idea and again i actually i'm like you that's why i kind of started with one of my favorite little 80s comics was this Captain Confederacy Will mm-hmm. Sh- you know shout out to Will Shatterly who I think his politics might be a little icky but it was this really interesting sort of fictive experiment right? that and you know and then the back of the comic he would have all these books that he had read and all this research and, and again it's sort of again how I got from point A to point B to point C where you know again this affects World War One. Mm-hmm. which then affects World War II, mm-hmm. which then so on and so forth, and trade routes and everything if you don't have a United States right. in the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. Two rich dudes sitting going, dude, wouldn't it be awesome if the Confederacy still lived and, and it was still slaves? <laughs> we should make a show. Hey, wait a minute. We're the Game of Thrones guys. We can do whatever we want. I have no faith. Well, I see, and not for nothing. I got a little bit more faith in them than that. I have zero faith in them with this because, I mean, you know, you know, it's hard being a black nerd. It, 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 it's hard being a black nerd. I think it's a lot of stuff you have to sort of, you got to separate it and put it to the side. And Game of Thrones, I love Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones is not a show that you really want to really dig into yeah, pull, that pick apart like deeply that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when it comes to issues of race. You're right. Because Game of Thrones gets icky real quick if you start to really poke at it. Yes. I don't trust the Game of Thrones people to do shit with race at all. Like, this is white people, they swinging swords at each other, and it's white walkers, and it's, 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 it's Bran is, is a raven, and and then now his area has trained to be Batman over these years. <laughs> let, let's just let's just Arya is, is is some dragons. Like let's just do this. But stay st- in your lane. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Which okay. is not this, right? So I have no faith in. Like I keep reading. Oh, give him a chance. Nope, no chances. No chances. Shut it down. Because apparently that's what you got to do when you black. You got to make a whole bunch of noise. And boycott things and do some Twitter stuff. Like, this is what you got to do when you're black. Because that's the only way that people listen to you. Yeah. All right, we're going we're gonna to shut this down, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this conversation. But hey, Vince, <laughs> just, this is, feel free to say no. Okay. But if we can knock out this review real yes. quick, I would like for us to do a 
short binge lounge after this just to talk about this other thing that you were brought, brought up about Disney and stuff. Oh, we don't have to do it. <laughs> we don't have to do it. If we, you can see his face, ladies and gentlemen, that face was like, nigga. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> your face did. Your face, your face said, nigga, you better review a soldier story. So that's what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for us to review Lynn a soldier story. Not- <laughs> I'm conducting an inquiry into the events surrounding the death of Sergeant Waters. The report I file will be confidential. What will the army say when they find out two white officers beat up the murder victim not long before he was shot to death? You've got a motive, you've got a witness. What more do you want? This is still my investigation, Charlie. You killed Waters, didn't you? Answer me! Did you kill Waters? Captain Richard Davenport has come to Fort Neal to find out the truth about a man's past. What kind of man was he? I'm the kind of colored man that don't like lazy, shiftless Negroes. His enemies waited a long time for you, boy. But I got you. And his murder. Keep turning this thing over. You bound to have an explosion. Now you hit him, didn't you? I knocked him down. <laughs> They're all lying. Prove it. Then you shot him. He was alive when we left. Who gave you the right to judge? A Soldier Story is a 1984 American drama film directed by Norman Jewison, adapted by Charles Fuller's from his Pulitzer Prize winning off-Broadway production, A Soldier's Play. A black officer is sent to investigate the murder of a black sergeant in Louisiana near the end of World War II. This story about racism in a segregated regiment of the U.S. Army commanded by white officers and training in the Jim Crow South in a time and place where a black officer is unprecedented and bitterly resented by nearly everyone. This film stars Howard E. Rollins Jr. and Adolph Caesar in the lead roles of Captain Davenport and Sergeant Waters. You also have Art Evans as Private Wilkie, David Allen Greer as Corporal Cobb, David Harris as Private Smalls, Dennis Liscombe as Captain Taylor, Larry Riley as C.J. Memphis, Robert Townsend as Corporal Ellis, Patty LaBelle as Big Mary, John Hancock is Sergeant Washington. William Allen Young is Private Henson. And Denzel Washington. Yes. As PFC Peterson. This movie also found room for noted 80s villain <laughs> Wings Hauser. Wings Hauser. My favorite Wings Hauser movie. As Lieutenant Bird. Yeah. And this is also the selection of Vince's. Yes. We make our way to 100. So, Vince, what say thee about a soldier story? Look, this is the blue chip stuff right here. Mm -hmm. Like, this, I mean, you know, you just, it's like you start with Norman Jewison, who's like one of these great, sort of legendary directors and legendary because he has put in the work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, just one of these real classic masters of the craft. Like you look at the films that he made, you look at at, at the authority that he has with all of the tools. 
under his command, um, you know, including in the heat of the night. Yes, which he made in 1967. Which I think is very appropriate because in a lot of ways, a soldier's story is uh, in the heat of the night riff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you start with Norman Jewison, his his sort of mastery of a sense of place, his mastery of staging, you know, especially in a film that is adapted from a play, Mm -hmm. which I think is really difficult to adapt well. And, you know, frankly, a soldier's story is is one of a handful of films that have adapted a play that I think is done really well to the point that, you know, for years, I didn't even know this was a play. Oh, really? I didn't. I mean, you know, for like two or three years. And I was like, oh, wow. So, you know, you start with Norman Jewison. You start with the fact that the man who won the Pulitzer for the play actually wrote the script. Yes. So Charles Fuller writes the script. So right there, you have something that is true to the spirit of the play, mm-hmm. that is true to the spirit of the story and the plot. And and just just from the very beginning, you have this wonderful foundation for a rock-solid film. Add to that, I'm, I'm a sucker for this kind of storytelling. Like, I love embedded stories. I love a story that you have someone telling a story. Okay. Like, that's right. actually my favorite favorite storytelling thing your st- favorite storytelling my, my favorite storytelling thing is the filming or the depiction of somebody telling a story really it's it's it is it's like I, I, I have a real sort of soft spot for it and the reason I have such a soft spot for it is the next thing not only is it an embedded story it's an embedded story where black men are telling the stories yeah and because part of the reason I have such a soft spot for it is it, it just reminds me of my father and my uncles and my grandfathers and all of the black men in my family who, you know, are by and large Southern men. OK, so they tell stories like that's what they do. Yeah, they tell story, and it's sort of almost a rite of passage when you are able to tell a story and hold people's attention. Like I can clearly remember being like 14 and telling a story about something that happened, and like my father or, or you know my uncles actually listened to me. So you have that, and and you know, again, already I'm in the bag for this thing. And then you just start with the cast, and, and you know you've named them. You, you know you've got Howard Rollins, and basically in his debut as the leading man, as the heir apparent to Sidney Poitier, because that's what this was. This was Hollywood saying. This is the new black leading man. Uh, ironically, the one that's going to come right after him is right there in the wings where you have Denzel mm-hmm. Washington. How about that? In a fairly small role. But, right. you know, just that coiled anger that is in everything. And, and, you know, this time where I watch it, like when you see him in the side of scenes or in the back of scenes when you realize what has happened and you can see him just sort of almost this caged tiger. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, he's wow. wonderful. Um, we're going, you, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if Larry Riley gets enough credit for this film. Larry Riley, who plays CJ Memphis. Mm-hmm. Cause he's amazing. Larry Riley as CJ Memphis is amazing because he is, He's a sympathetic figure. Right. 
he's a charming figure. Like you understand why people are drawn to him. Right. But he's also this despicable kind of caricature of blackness. Like you kind of understand why Sergeant Waters hates him. Because he is oh, oh, goo, 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 goo. and he is this type of black person that a certain type of white person feels very comfortable around. Okay. Like he doesn't challenge them. He doesn't challenge their preconceptions of black people as sort of simple minded. So Larry Raleigh kind of encompasses all of this in this character in a way that I don't know who else could have pulled this off. All of these different emotions that he evokes. And then, you know, you say the best for last. I mean, look, this Adolf Caesar as Sergeant Waters is I don't I don't even know what to say about that. Like like in my like in a in a perfect world, I feel like Sergeant Waters should be a role like Willie Loman. Okay. Or yeah. or you know in 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 um Death of a Salesman. Right. Or or Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. Like he's this magnificent creation mm-hmm. by Charles Fuller. Mm-hmm. And Adolf Caesar is 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 just I mean he 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 just leaves you speechless with this thing like you know just the way he moves the physicality of it the the way he evokes the line like i've never felt white hot hatred off of a screen the way i feel it off of sergeant waters yeah talking about cj oh yeah yeah that scene where he's in the bar oh come on moonshine king of the monkeys moonshine king of the monkeys might be my favorite monologue ever ever so yeah, I'm you know soldier. I'm look. Yes, I'm just 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 spoiler. I'm going to spend the rest of the episode gushing about a soldier story. I I do I have mean, to call uh, fight back a little. Please bit do because otherwise we're just going to be sitting <laughs> gushing up for an hour. Only where you t- said that uh, the character of C.J. Memphis Memphis, you say it is kind of like this this. Despicable character. Yes, and I I don't feel his character is despicable. I can see why Sergeant Waters, because of the mindset that he has been put in from his father, right? Um, to why he would see CJ as despicable. Right. Because he represents everything that his father did not. Because CJ represents everything that Sergeant Waters' father did not want him to be. Right. Or to represent in any way out there. Right. Um, and what goes unspoken on this is that it might have been. it is Is that it would have been a lot easier for him and presumably for Sergeant Waters and presumably his father to have that opinion of themselves and thus try to give off that air about themselves because they are very very light skinned okay uh, um, and that gets into a whole nother piece of like the uh, 
color politics in this right, movie right, right. doesn't really touch on, right. but it's kind of right there. It's it, like it's always the it's subtext. always there. It's, yeah. it's the subtext a little, bit, like especially how he's coming on uh, at these guys, and especially when he walks in to the barracks or uh, when in the morning to 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 berate the soldiers or after their baseball game to berate the soldiers and when they're they are there they are you know they are all dark skin men they yes. are and they are basked in their blackness it is it shines off them and then you have this very slight very light skin man coming and just uh, enforcing his will upon them because of the position that he's been placed in. Right. You know? Um, So I see where he sees CJ as despicable. I don't see CJ as a despicable character, nor do I get the uh, nor do I get the impression that the majority of the um, the people that that share in share in his troop feel that way either about him. The only two people that feel that way about him are Sergeant Waters and PFC Peters, who was the other side of the coin from Sergeant Waters. They just don't see it. I think the scene where he talks about having crow's blood to the point where he gets everybody in the room uncomfortable. Yeah, because he go down the line. No, sir. Okay, but but that was that. Yes, but that was the the innocence of Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquees Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. No. What's the best way to eat a taco? That's with your hands. With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. It's not innocent. He's a a grown-ass man. He's a grown man, but but also, like he said. They said my daddy said when I was born. That I had the crow in my blood. That was from. He's from the country, man. You got to remember where he was coming Everybody from. Everybody in the, that's, but that's my point exactly. David Allen Greer's character is also from the country. Yes, Peterson is from Alabama. Yeah, but there's South and then there's South. But see. But see now you're splitting hairs. Well, I'm not splitting hairs. I'm just saying. I think everybody understood that about. I them. believe uh, Charles Fuller has this character in that scene in particular. Mm-hmm. Because he is a, I mean, he's what chart Sergeant Waters says. He's a good timey, old timey Negro. Okay, I, I, I I mean, he's not. I mean, he's not. How does that? How does that scene work for you? No, sir, it's crowing my blood. 
my daddy said when I was born. How does that scene work for you? It, it worked for me in that he was just this. He just he's just a. It's just a, 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 a dude. It's just a, he's not he's not super intelligent. He's not the brightest you know bulb in the refrigerator. I give it that. I give you that. He's, he was just he was a CJ, but he was just being innocently CJ. Yes, that's that's how it played for me. So is he is he not as learned as the rest of the people that are from areas close around him? I don't think it's Obviously about not. learned. None of them were learned. Well, no, that's not true. See, Peterson obviously no. Was. Peterson is obviously not. Peterson is a non-commissioned officer. No, but okay, but I that mean, doesn't it, mean that doesn't mean that he's not learned. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have um, uh, a certain wit and intellect about I think him. You were bringing something there that, that, that is not that in the CJ text. is absent in CJ. I think it is there in the text. Sykes says he is hard on all the Southern boys. David Allen Greer's character is from the South. Um, Peterson. Played by um, Denzel Washington is from the South. Smalls, right? Small, like the. It is not necessarily just the South. It is something about CJ. Yes, well, because CJ may be the most Southern of the South. And, well, and that he is. Just, I think David Allen Greer's character is a little Southern too, but he doesn't have the yeah. scorn against him that he does against CJ. Because again, I don't think he uh, he is as charismatic as CJ. No, like people are drawn to CJ. Well, yes, because if for whatever for what maybe they think he can do for them as on the bas- on the baseball team. I mean, he plays a guitar. I mean, he's a charming and, and he's dude. A charming dude. He's a charming you know, dude. He plays the guitar. He sings. He wrote all of those all of those songs right. that he was singing. He wrote right. Like I understand why, but but again, the this is Larry not Raleigh. a matter of Sergeant Waters making up stuff on him. Yeah, but I think it's skewed from his from the from the uh, um, the vision uh, uh, that his father has painted in his head, which is why I think, which is why it does play out. You know what what happens to CJ as it plays out. It's why it then takes its toll. On the sergeant, right, and he winds up in the predicament that he does. Right, I think it, because in watching that whole thing play out, he has his own self hatred yeah. thrown back at him. Yeah, and that causes him to break down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's absolutely filled with this self loathing, and you know, not for nothing. I think he is drawn to CJ. Yeah, like I think CJ. Kind of pulls in everybody I mean, because CJ because CJ is a nice guy. I think it's more than nice guy. Well, no, it's I definitely think, more than I, nice guy. I think guy. it's something, and then, you know, not for nothing. I just found this out today. Been watching this movie for twenty years, loosely based on a Herman Melville novel, Billy Budd. Is it really? I just read that today, but and then when they said it, it made complete sense to me because I read Billy Budd when I was in high school. But what I do remember is that the car- the captain, was. Vaguely sexually drawn to Billy Bud, hmm. and I was like, eh. "So things kind of clicked in the p- uh, place a little bit with Sergeant Orders." Oh, interesting. So I think maybe that's a little bit in there as well. I also thought it was very interesting. I read this. I knew that there was, of course, a um, original off Broadway production of this yes. play back in nineteen eighty. It opened. Um, off Broadway in 1981, closed in 1983 after 468 
performances. Yeah. Um, but the original cast had Adolph Caesar. Yes. As Sergeant Waters, Denzel Washington as Peterson, yeah. Larry, Larry Riley, Larry as Riley, as Riley was Memphis. in it. Yeah. Um, and it featured in the role of Lewis Henson, Private Lewis Henson, Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Uh, as well as Peter Friedman as Captain Taylor and Charles Brown as uh, and Charles Brown played um, Captain Davenport. Davenport. Yeah. And the reason this was a very successful play, mm-hmm. and the sole reason it stayed off Broadway is because. When uh, offered the opportunity to move the play to Broadway, Charles Fuller said no, because they asked him to change one line oh, in the play. And, and what line was that? The the line in the play they asked him to change was the um, the final line in the play where he says, uh, "You're going to have to get used to black black men, black officers being in charge." Yes, they asked him to change that. And he said no, and therefore it remained off Broadway. He he just refused to change that line. Charles Fuller, ladies Charles and gentlemen, Bro- Charles Fuller, Philly born. Yeah, absolutely, Philly born. That's how Philly men roll. That's that's, <laughs> that's Philly right that's, there. That's hey, and I applaud the Philly man. Amen. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, so I have to push back on you. Well, I have to push that. back on you. Because Davenport, not Captain Davenport, Captain, um, oh, I just kept, no, Captain Taylor, who was the white captain. When Davenport asked him, well, what do you know about C.J. Memphis? And the first thing he says, hell of a ball player. Yeah. Because that's all he is. No, that's what I said. Yes, to some, they they were drawn to him because of what he could do. But Sergeant Waters would argue that as long as black people are only seen in this context by white people mm-hmm. we're never going to get anywhere well that's true now that's his argument it's an argument that we've grappled with we talk about it right now for respectability politics but again i think larry wiley's performance of cj mm-hmm. i can see why sergeant waters hated him more than he hated the other soldiers. No, I see that. Yeah, I do see that. One hundred percent. I I agree with you. Um, but let's be clear. I don't think he should have locked him up and tried to get him locked up forever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think I'm I'm, I'm pro CJ. I'm pro CJ. Now yeah. the dude that let them uh, pin a tail to his butt and eat bananas for them Frenchies and they put a crown on him and named him Moonshine, King of the Monkeys. You know, we slit that fool's throat. He had the nerve to ask us what he did wrong. See him? I don't know. I don't know if he deserved to get his his, his neck slit. I don't know if I'd have went back there and helped him slit his throat, but I don't know if I'd have gotten away either. <laughs> and well, I, he ain't my monkey, and this ain't my circus. Yeah, well, so. I don't, I don't know if I would have been down with that. Um, it's just recalling a great monologue um, <laughs> there. Uh, we we could go on about Adolf Caesar uh, ad nauseum. Um, and this really is it's a shame that uh, Adolf Caesar, as as prominent a an actor as he has been on stage, yeah. um, 
his film his filmography is not super large. I mean, what I mean, it's this. It's a color purple. Yeah, it's, it's what what else? It's not much. It's not much else. Um, but uh, again, this is like this movie is. Um, it should have been like you know the the opening to so much more. Yeah, for him. Uh, that also then leads you to, and then I'm looking up uh, Adolf Caesar's um, filmography, and he did. Oh my God, he did like so many. Uh, he did a lot of. Uh, it was here when I was telling you he was a narrator of all of the black black exploitation uh, trailers. Yeah, oh he yeah. He was a narrator of. Check these out. He was the narrator of the trailer, theatrical trailer for Blackula, Hammer, Scream, Blackula, Scream, uh, Karate Kimba, <laughs> JD's Revenge, Dawn of the Dead. I mean, he was he he did a lot of that work, but then. His actual on screen really doesn't start. He plays an anchorman in 1980 yeah. in yeah. Fist of Fear, Touch of Death. Yes. God knows what that is. I think that's one of them weird leftover Bruce Lee Bruce, movies. Bruce Lee like we were talking about that a few weeks ago. Yeah. It was the Bruce Lee knockoff. And then you don't see him again until 1984 in Soldier Story. And yeah. then the following year, he follows that up as Old Mr. in Color Purple. Yeah. And then the uh, Club Paradise. Another and, great role. In color purple. Yeah, but you know, what do you do with Adolf Caesar? Like, what do you do with Adolf Caesar in these films? And certainly in the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's, it's another sort of victim of Hollywood. I know. Oh, my God. He did he did a voiceover and radio commercials for Cleopatra Jones, Superfly, Truck Turner, the spook who sat out of door. He's like the Willie Hutch of voiceovers. Oh, I, now I did not know this. He was the voice of Hotwing, a magician and skilled illusionist in, wait for it, Silverhawks. <laughs> Here's the bad thing. I know exactly who that is. Yes. I was a Silverhawks fan. There were a lot of people who Silverhawks. Yeah. If you like Thundercats, you love Silverhawks. Here's the thing. I didn't like Thundercats. I, I like the knockoffs of Thundercats. I got bored with Thundercats. Yeah, I did get bored yeah. with Thundercats, but but so and Silverhawks unfortunately didn't last that long. Yeah, but it was it was I like Silverhawks. You know who else is very good in this? Robert Townsend. Yeah, he's he's. he's I enjoyed he's Robert fun. Townsend. I, Robert Townsend was having fun. I loved watching him bounce off of Howard Rollins. Yes. By the end of the film, I wanted, you know, sort of like they did with Mr. Tibbs in Mm -hmm. in the heat of the night. And they Mm -hmm. spun off like two extra movies. I wish that there were like two follow ups to this and that uh, Robert Townsend's character, Ellis. Yeah. Played Davenport's like assistant. Yeah. 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 And they would have little adventures. You certainly see that. I thought he was I thought he was really great. I thought about that as well. I thought that this um, this role you know, certainly could have been uh, carried forward into other productions. You know, yeah. either either he still is a military lawyer, or maybe he gets out. You know, it's the other side of World War Two. Yeah, and he and he and it, now he's a black man, a black lawyer, trying yeah. to make it in nineteen forty five, forty six. 
America. That who, what kind of story that could be? I mean, and, and Howard Rollins. I mean, you know, because he's in Ragtime. He's in this. Like he, like he, he looks good in this period clothing. He does, and he kind of carries off in his MacArthur glasses. Right, <laughs> that's right. But but you know, this really kind of intellectual restraint that mm-hmm. he has to have as a black man in this moment. Yeah. So that you know. First of all, I'm impressed that anybody is able to give a performance in this film that you can remember outside of Adolf Caesar. Like, to me, that's a testament to how good this cast is. Well, I think it's smart because Adolf Caesar, he does, like, blow this, the the screen. Yeah. The, the doors off the screen when, when you see him, which is why I think it's smart that in the film – you don't get introduced to him to about 15 minutes into the That's movie. That's right. The movie is is kind of like already in its That's right. going. I mean, like you see him at the top, you experience it, but you don't hear him. You just see yeah. what happens to him and then it flashes forward right. to you introducing you to Captain Davenport and then it's a probably about another good 10-15 minutes before you actually truly hear his voice. And back to, you, you know, again, my favorite aspect is storytelling. You meet different versions of him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Rashomon. Right, right, exactly. Not even Rashomon because some of it are oh, straight yeah. lies. Yeah, like, yeah. Wilkie actually lies yeah. when he first tells him about Sergeant Waters and then he comes back and, and you get the real story mm-hmm. and you get both versions of of this and you know the funny thing is in the first version he actually references club ne- neapolitan right to cj mm-hmm. but he does it in a way where it sounds friendly and you know shout out to art evans you know art evans who this is my favorite art evans product performance. i mean it, it's fantastic i don't I, I mean i think it's my default favorite art evans movie because this is the one i can point to yeah and say art evans is in this as opposed to when i watch things and it's like oh hey, it's, it's art, evans. art evans right you right. know so yeah art evans is fantastic in mm-hmm. this you, you know as um sergeant wilkie yeah because he's got to play he's got to play subservient but also seething like underneath yeah. there is, oh, it's, yeah. is, is just oh man it's all of these wonderful and sort of complex sort of sort of examinations of power relationships mm-hmm. and you know and who do you have to defer to and who do you really have to defer to yeah and I, how do you defer to i it? so like that when you see davenport show up in this town and ellis greets him and one of the things one of the things that really stood out to me is that you know None, uh, none of them had seen a black officer, right? But uh, also, a whole lot of the white soldiers and officers had never had seen never seen a black That's officer. Right. That's right. And every time they come across Davenport, I thought it was very smart of of the director Jewison to not go to a close up. Of them doing a double take at Davenport. No, it's it's basically Davenport just walks into the scene as if you would in any other scene. Right. And in that scene, the person that he is greeting or or being uh, coming into contact with does the double take just full body, like like full in that scene. And it goes from the white actors and officers to the black 
soldiers and everything. They're all they all have the their different reactions yeah. to to um to Davenport. Then and 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 you can see that at times Davenport kind of like soaks it up, you know. Yeah. He soaks it up from the from the black officers. He, you know, sternly demands it somewhat sometimes even wordlessly so from the from the white soldiers absolutely you know um he is quick to uh uh exact his, his the same level of respect and command that he has that he shares with captain taylor yeah. we're both on the same plane you know um but then he also and I, you can see him see them a little bit has to be a little subservient to the colonel. That's right. Who is giving him his butt to kiss? That's right. That, and he and he's got to take. He outranks him. Yeah. And again, Davenport did not become a captain. Like he didn't go up through the ranks, right? Without knowing how to do this. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you can feel it coming off of his skin when he has to defer to the colonel, and the colonel knows it. Oh yeah, you know, as the colonel said, I've been handling Negro soul, colored soldiers my whole career, so he feels like he knows what he's doing, even with Captain Davenport. Yep. Yeah, so you know, it's fantastic. Um, the sense of place. This movie makes me hot. It does. Like this feels like nineteen forties mm-hmm. Mississippi mm-hmm. or or Florida. Where is it? Tynan. I know it's Tynan. I know Louisiana. I thought it was supposed to be taking Louisiana. Place. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Louisiana, and you know, one of the things we talked about this with um, the learning tree. One of the things I'm always observing of is who sweats and who doesn't sweat in these movies. Everybody is sweating. Everybody sweats. Like everybody sweats because it, it again it, it just and this you know again back to Norman Jewelson being sort of this master of establishing place in mm-hmm. mood mm-hmm. it 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 is it, it just comes off of this thing yeah and yeah. you know you've got these wonderful shots of the country like right outside the base uh you you know you mentioned it when davenport first comes into town i love that quick shot of main street mm-hmm. which kind of parallels with the very first scene with um, Sergeant Waters drunkenly walking down that Main same Street, thoroughfare, and he kind of goes from the black part to the white part, mm-hmm. which is right after that great uh, establishing scene in the very beginning at Big um, Big Mary's at Big Mary's Bar with Patty Labelle. Like we haven't even mentioned Patty Labelle. Patty Labelle is in this thing for um, what? Maybe five minutes. Maybe five minutes. You know everything you need to know about yep. her. Yeah, you know everything you need to know. Yep. So, and I will say that this is the movie I fell in love with Patty LaBelle. Okay, I fell in love with Patty LaBelle because uh, uh, I knew, of course, I knew of Patty LaBelle, right? And had heard Patty LaBelle singing, um, but I, I don't think I really like just really embraced everything about Patty LaBelle until I saw this movie. And also, I not ashamed to admit it, I fell in love with her physically. I thought, wow, that is a Gorgeous woman. Hey, that is a gorgeous. Nineteen eighty four. Patty woman. Labelle mm. was not a game. She was not not a game. Game. That's no. a grown. Doll. We are well acknowledged fans 
of grown women. Yes. Patty LaBelle was a grown woman. She was a grown grown woman. <laughs> so yes, Patty LaBelle. Yeah. Um you know, we've kind of flirted around with it a little bit, uh, Howard Rollins. I was watching earlier this week. Actually, uh, my girlfriend Tawana was watching, and I uh, watched a part of it with her. A Bronx Tale. Okay. Which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, one of the famous lines from that movie is that, you know, Sonny... Sony always said it's nothing worse than, uh, no, my dad, his dad said, his dad always said that it's nothing worse than a wasted talent. Yeah. Yeah. And that just really resonated with me watching this film again this week. Yeah. Um, if this was all, it was always in the back of my head watching Howard Rollins in this movie, especially watching him in the scene that he does when he's in, he's, questioning Denzel Washington who you like you say is the heir apparent yeah uh, at this time still very young um, but you can see you know you can see the Denzel oh, in yeah. him the Denzel is yeah. there uh, and he's actually acting because I do yeah. think Denzel Washington gets to a point where he's coasting in a few films yeah but this is Denzel Washington oh, the yeah. actor well, yeah, yeah. He, and he's acting, but it's also it's fair to say that you know while he's acting, this role is probably just putting on a, 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 a putting on a coat for him because yeah. he'd already you know done right, it right, so done much on Broadway, on, on I mean, stage. Not on Broadway, off Broadway, yeah. Um, but watching them in that in those in those scenes, um, and in those scenes, you know, it's Howard Rollins is talking to Denzel, and then it kicks into a flashback. So it's very much it's all about Denzel in those, right. in those scenes, which are, which are great. You know, seeing him go up against uh, Sergeant Waters, it's a powerful, very powerful uh, um, moment in this film. But every time they cut back to Howard Rollins, you still can't take your eyes off of Howard Rollins. Yeah, there is still such an, an intensity and an intelligence to what he is yeah. doing on that screen. Um, at all times, yeah, and it it just really made me sad, yeah, because he was a phenomenal actor, yeah, who just could not escape his demons, yeah, and yeah. his demons took him down, and 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 it's 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 doubly sad because it really was like he had put in all of this work on mm-hmm. stage, you know, it had a couple of film. Of film credits here and there, but after a soldier story, they really did lay it out for him. Yeah, like you know, I think it was a year or so after. It's like, like I've mentioned that that in a lot of ways, this is on in the heat of the night riff, right? Where you know you have this very educated black man comes into this rural area mm-hmm. to solve a crime. Mm-hmm. Much like in the heat of the night, and I think it was a year or so after this that he actually was in the TV movie version of In the Heat of the Night, which then spun out into a television show. Right. So, you know, he really did have it laid out before him. 
yeah. after everything that happened. And, and you but, know, again, after all the work they did, and it is just a tragedy. But think, a soldier story is a follow up to his role in Ragtime. Yeah, and in Ragtime, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I, I was about to say he's good in Ragtime, but like yeah. you just said, he's not one of the leads of Rag. Like no. when you think of Ragtime, I don't think people think of Howard Rawlins. No, they don't. But yeah. it, it's just that it, you know, like you say, it's. It's there. The, the the next step. It's after you get nominated, you should be the lead right. in a great movie. He's the lead in a, in great, a great movie, movie. an Oscar nominated movie you know based I mean? on a Pulitzer Prize winning play. Uh, and and he had steadily been building. He was he he was uh, played Andrew Young in King. He was in Roots: The Next Generation. This is talking about earlier in his career. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. I mean it. it, it and then he you know he did a, a number of television movies and stuff like that and. Found his way to in the heat of the night in in, in 1988, but quiet as kept. When he's on a in the heat of the night, yeah, that's a good break for him. Yeah, but he's also doing that television show because he had already blown a couple of chances. You know, it's it's a shame how those demons just yeah. took a, a hold. That's of a very this good man. point that I never I like. I actually had forgotten that. Right, like I had forgotten that in the heat of the night was almost his last stop. That was that was his last. That <laughs> but, truly but was yeah. his last stop. Yeah. And, and he was doing, you know, he in there he's going up against a legendary actor hey. and Carol Carol O'Connor. Um, so I it, joke about in the heat of the night, but the first two seasons of in the heat of the night, that's solid television. It was good television. That's solid good television. Right, it really is. And and quiet is kept. That's how Ronald, and and he's doing okay working. That that's how Ronald's sleepwalking. Oh yeah, that's how bad this man oh, was, yeah. man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it 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 it. Look, you and I both know Hollywood is littered yeah. with these stories. I and, know, unfortunately, and and yeah. you know, it's I'm just it it makes you appreciate this film that much more. It does, frankly, it, and, and 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 like you say, it it makes you appreciate it, and it makes this movie. That much more of a time capsule, yeah. That it is, yeah. Because like we've gone on about the the acting prowess that is on display in this film, uh, we've gone on about the directorial um, a mastery of Norman Jewison taking this this play, which for the most part, if you ever have seen a production of a soldier's play, is very much it's. One set. It's yeah. It's yeah. a talkie. Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's absolutely. Talkie. Like you can tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but he he opens it up smartly, um, and and really brings it to life. Charles Fuller uh, did did a masterful job in adapting his play. Again, it's one of the very few adaptations that I can't look at it and say, oh, this is the part that they would have changed the set. Yeah, or they would have you know just had the curtain. Like, you know, this is the intermission part. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Norman Jorison's, uh filmography, which is considerable. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. The man has been nominated for Academy Award in, for In the Heat of the Night. Yes. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Moonstruck. Yes. He did a soldier's story. He did um, a, a comedy that I actually is kind of near and dear to my heart a little bit. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar Dude And Justice for All Agnes of God The Hurricane um, This is a, uh, a This is a legendary Actor And by my estimation I mean director By me. my estimation 
I don't see him as a flashy director. Not at all. Like I don't think there there are aspects of nor I, I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, now maybe we're coming to the limits of my eye. But there there aren't aspects of Norman Jewison films where I say, "Oh, that's a Norman Jewison touch." Yeah. No. But just quality. Yeah. Just you you know again where 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 he makes the kind of movies that you think movies are mm-hmm. like when you're a kid and you and you like first start liking movies mm-hmm. and you think all movies are this good mm-hmm. and then you start seeing it oh no all movies aren't good all so it's a lot of crappy movies right a norman Jewison film again it's just that solid i think the first thing i said at the beginning these are blue chip productions yeah like this is a man who makes rock solid films and not for nothing, I think his politics kind of guide him toward these sort of socially conscious films. Mm. And that's how come, I mean, you just said, In the Heat of the Night, Soldier Story, Hurricane. I mean, the right thing, you know, I don't know if you remember, he was up for Malcolm X. Oh, yeah, that's Like, right. for years, he was yeah. attached to Malcolm X. And I think the main argument was just that he wasn't black. Like, Which no one I, said Norman Jewison wasn't a good director. No one said Norman Jewison didn't have the sensitivity to make this kind of film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love Malcolm X. Like, I love Spike Lee's Malcolm X. But I think it is a testament to Norman Jewison that this, like, like he was, he's the only other director I ever heard attached to it. Besides uh, Spike Lee, and I've always hated that argument that only like there's certain movies that only like a, a black person should tell. I, I I just I've never really liked that argument. Yes, there are certain directors or writers or whatever what what have you that you would rather not see them do certain pieces of right uh, of of work, um, but I never you know I like Spike Lee. Right. I enjoy Spike Lee. Right. I've enjoyed a great deal many of his movies, but I think it's probably at this point in time there's probably more Spike Lee movies that I dislike than I like. Okay. You know, um I would have been I would have loved to see Norman Jewison do Malcolm X. I think it takes a certain sensitivity and like we were talking earlier, a certain sensitivity and a certain level of respect that frankly I don't think most white artists have. For black stories. I just don't think they have it. Norman Jewelson is one of the artists and the directors that I would have been fine with him making Malcolm X. Okay. So, you know, I don't have a across the board, black people should make black stories. But I also know how this thing works mm-hmm. when white people make stories about black people. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, oftentimes it seems like that's my default. But Norman Jewison is like that Venn that Venn diagram. Like black people should make black stories, and people who are sensitive and respectful should make black stories. And it seems like they just are right on top of each other. That little sliver. Mm-hmm. Norman Jewison is one of the few people that is in that sliver. I want to ask you one other thing before we we uh, shut this down. What did you think about Herbie Hancock's job on the score of this film? I think the best compliment I can give it is that I didn't I don't really think about the music. Okay. In this film. And now that you like now that you said like you said it just now, Herbie Hancock, and I heard like the synth in mm-hmm. my ear a little bit. 
And if I thought about it, it was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought it was, I thought you it was, know. you know, I don't think like, it's nothing great that right. he did. It was a very impromptu um, score that he put together. Right. Um, but I liked that there were bits of that 80s synth yeah. mixed with Southern twangs yeah. and tinglings yeah, you know. um, in there. And it, I played, uh, played well with the movie. I, I, like I said, it didn't stand out as some great accomplishment, but I, I enjoyed it per our conversation. It doesn't, I tell you this, I tell you this, especially for it to be the eighties and especially for it to have a little bit of that synth. It's not dated. Okay. And that's saying something. Well, per our conversations, I do pay attention now. It, does the music distract me? Mm-hmm. Does the music fit in? And I don't think it does at all. And I think the musicality of Patti LaBelle mm. and Larry Wiley, like I th- like when I think of the music in this film. That's what you think of. I think of them. Yeah. And yeah. I think of the blues tradition that they bring into it, bring to it. And then, you know, again, just that master craftsmanship mm-hmm. that both of them bring to it, which, you know, again, I think is 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 just sort of top to bottom left to right like everybody is at the top of their craft right in this film like like you know i was because you know i was trying to think of something that i didn't like and it was like you know like i was thinking about david allen greer and his character sort of played for last but then i thought yeah but even that serves a purpose because you know right. like the first part of our conversation in theory Sergeant Waters should have despised David Allen Greer's character even more than he despised CJ's. Really? Because he's even goofier and don't you talk like that, CJ? Yeah, but that's CJ is. So then I thought, well, what is it about CJ mm-hmm. that sets him off so much? And you know, you get this really complicated relationship that he has with CJ that he like you said that he has with himself mm-hmm. that he has with his own blackness and then I was like dag even David Allen Greer is serving like this this is all aimed towards this one goal which you know to circle right back around I think you got to end it with Charles Fuller yeah with Charles Fuller so yeah soldier story Great piece of cinema, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, timeless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Piece of cinema. I, they don't. I think. They don't have enough runs of a soldier's play. Like I saw, Tay Diggs was in a production in two thousand eight. I think mm-hmm. I missed that all because I've never seen it on stage. They've actually not, a few years ago. They put a um, production of a soldier's play up at the Stagecrafters uh, Theater here in Germantown. Oh, in I Philadelphia, um, and it it's one of those plays that when you're an actor, and it, I guess this actually was more than a few years ago because back when I was really trying to act, um, that almost every actor in the in the city goes out and wants to be a part of that play. Right, right. Want, you just you because you want the you want the opportunity to speak those words, right? You know, because right. even the smallest role is still just juicy, yeah. You know, or or just or just fun to yeah. be in that um 
a part of that whole, you know, the, the camaraderie of that uh, scenario. It's it's like a soldier's story. There's a few plays that are like that for for um, men and for black men. I mean, like for white men, like they love to do white men love to do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross of on stage, um, uh, which always upsets people nowadays because when they do the play, they expect to do the um, the role the Alec Baldwin part, the Alec Baldwin. Baldwin part, but the Alec Baldwin part was written specifically for, for the, the movie. movie. That's right. So they're like, wait a minute. Well, That's right. <laughs> All right, I guess but I'll do Coffee is for closers. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And it's for the movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but A Soldier's Play is one of those plays that like black actors, guys, love to dig their teeth into. Right. And um, if you do get the opportunity to see it, um, yeah. You need to see it. I I could I would see it on uh, on a stage tomorrow. It's, yeah, it's yeah. So would really, I. So would I. Especially so. if it get together a good cast. Um, so we would recommend a soldier's story wholeheartedly. Wholehearted. Wholeheartedly, I would recommend a soldier's story uh, as a film that people should see um, as soon as possible. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is just, it was, it's... I don't know where it is. I actually have the DVD, so I didn't even look it up anywhere. I think I got I this. assume it's everywhere, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think I have the DVD somewhere, too, but I can't, uh, I know it's somewhere down in my, down in my basement, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? And I just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to, to find it, um... To look for it, actually, and I probably should have looked for it. I apologize. I, that that's my bad. My bad, everybody. <laughs> um. All right, so we are continuing our way. Continuing our way. You are up, Mister Webb. Am I really? I picked a soldier story. Well, you did, Vince. That's exactly what you did. You yeah. chose a, a soldier story. Um, and the movie that I selected before this. Which is I'm I'm going to blank with what I said. New Jack City. New Jack City. Yes, it was New Jack City. So I'm trying to trying to I I, I want to have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we get to 100, a lot of yeah. lot of top shelf black films that are fun. Yep. I can think of two of them that you have name checked since we've been talking that are I believe top shelf films and they're both very fun. What's I'm not going to say them. I want to see what you pick. Oh. I'll tell you after you pick. Because oh, I'm I guarantee it's none of them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> The film that we will be doing next here on the uh, Road to 100 okay. on the Michelle Mission is a film that I have never seen. Uh-oh. But I've always heard about. A film you've never seen? And I've you... always wanted to see, and I just never took the chance, time to go and see it. Well, this is so a now great this is my time opportunity and space to do that. To watch this movie. And that is Black Belt Jones. Black Belt? Belt Jones with Jim Kelly and and is Tamara? I think Tamara Dobson's in Black Belt Jones. That's a very good question. I'm not sure if she is in that. Pretty film. sure it's Jim Kelly and Tamara Dobson. It's Jim Kelly and Gloria Henry. Gloria Henry. Yes, not Tamara Dobson. No, I knew it was one of those sisters with them little afros. Yeah, but I, I, I'm Gloria Henry. That name is not familiar to me. Gloria Henry. I believe she was the. It, she's not the first black Bond girl. No, 
no, she's not. She's um, I don't believe so. She is best known. Gloria Hendry, um, American actress, former Playboy model, best oh. known for her roles in the seventies, most notably portraying Rosie Carver in 1973's James Bond film *Live and Let Die*, which was Roger Moore's first Bond film. I, she's not the first black Bond girl. Um, she portrayed Bond. Bond girl Rosie Carver in Live and Let Die. She became the first, first African American girl. woman right. to become romantically involved yeah. with 007. Yeah. Trina Parks, who played a nemesis to Bond rather yeah. than a love interest. Uh, oh, see, here's the thing. I knew I knew it wasn't that that wasn't the name I was I was remembering. Hendry, in nineteen seventy three, she portrayed Rosie Carver. In Live and Let Die. In that film, she became the first African-American woman to become romantically involved with 007. Trina Parks, who played a nemesis to Bond rather than a love interest in Diamonds Are Free Forever, the previous Bond film, is considered to be the first African-American Bond girl. Because Uh when Live and Let Die was first released in South Africa, uh... Uh, Hendry's love scenes with Roger Moore were cut out because it was prohibited by the apartheid government. Wait. No, I don't know if that's because... Wait, wait. Diamonds of Forever is before Live and Let Die, isn't it? Yeah, so that's why they're saying Trina Parks is considered the first Bond girl, even though she doesn't play a romantic interest to um, James Bond. Okay. But because I guess she's the first black chick she's in first a Bond black woman film, in there. Yeah. she's considered the first black Bond girl. I've never heard that before this exact second. I've always heard Gloria Henry. No, I always I had heard Bond Trina girl. Parks. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I, maybe we didn't cover it on this show. Maybe it was on Tribbles. But um, we, I, I knew when you had said that, I said, I don't yeah. think it was Gloria Henry. Yeah. And, and that's who it was. It was Trina you Parks. Know, we've talked about we're not really Bond people. But you know, I love Living Let Die. I like Bond. I, I, no, we're not Bond people. Like uh, that's not our thing. Uh, well, no, I like Bond. All right, I, mean, I don't like everybody. Right, right, right. I don't like right. all Bonds. Yeah. Like, I mean, I go from Sean Connery. Like I'm not going to say in like 2037, I'm not going to pick Live and Let Die. That's not a black film. If every, if all of the black characters in that movie were white, it'd be a completely different movie. That doesn't make it a. That's my definition. Well, that's fine. That's my definition. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, it's Bond's black movie. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, Gloria Henry. Why? Well, yeah, I was thinking Tamara Dobson. Like I'm thinking. So. You keep saying Henry. Her name is Henry. 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 I'm, Henry. Respect yes, her I'm, name. I'm, I'm, well, I'm dropping her D. You know, see, Sergeant Waters would want to slip my throat. He would have. So I'm not enunciating. Mm, giddy. <laughs> you know. He's, let his throat. That fool had the nerve to ask what had he done wrong. Woo! Mm. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this and everything Michelle Mission will be is available for you on MichelleMission.com as well as on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Tune In, the CLNS Podcast Network, as well as the Black Tribbles Podcast Network. It's available for you right there. Um. Yeah, if you got any feedback, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, look up Michelle Mission, and you'll find us. Um, 
feel free, please, to rank and rate us on iTunes. That helps people find the show. The more, if you can tell a friend to just rank, subscribe on iTunes and just click, you know, how many stars you want to give us. Four or five. Five is great. Four is cool, too. You know, it doesn't matter. The more that we get, the more it big ups our profile and the more people can find our show and at the end of the day while we enjoy each and every one of the Michelle missionaries out there to join us every week um, we could always have more always plenty of room there's plenty of room plenty of room but you'll always be the ones we love the most that's right All right, we gotta get out of here he's Vince I'm Len in parting we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.